and welcome to a new episode of Ringer Dish, special K-pop edition. I'm Kate Hallowell. It's been a minute since we've done one of these. I'm super psyched to be back and to welcome four fabulous guests from the wide world of K-pop media on the pod today. And we have assembled, pun intended, to celebrate the new Super M album, Super One, which is out. We're recording on release day. If you're listening, either like, you know what that is, you know what Super M is, or you're my mom. So like, we're just going to get right into it. First up, I want to introduce our first two guests for a look back at Super M's first year since debut. Our first guest, we have the Ringer's own fabulous producer, lifelong K-pop fan, even if he says he isn't, Isaac Lee. (laughs) Hello, hello. It's good to be back. I don't know about fabulous producer. I, I am a producer. I don't know what constitutes fabulous. It's my intro, man. I can say whatever I want about you. All right. All right. It's uh, quite unnerving, but it's fine. And we also have longtime K-pop writer, freelancer, my sort of like faded LA press section concert buddy uh, of months past, hopefully months to come, Alexis Horoyan, who I have in recent years just like adopted as like my fellow LA K-pop media person. Guys, welcome to the pod. Happy Super M release day. How are we? Happy Super M release day. I'm super stoked to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Anytime that I can come on platform and talk about Super M, I'm down. So this is perfect. I want to see how many times we can like accidentally use the word super while we're describing things today (laughs) and just like... Oh, it'll happen a lot. Take a shot every time. It's unconscious. Now I'm going to be super conscious. Oh, I just said super. Yeah, there we go. Super or dropping more. Let's see which word we can get more on this podcast. Oh, man. We are going to dive into super one for the second half of the podcast. But for this first half, I really just want to look back at the past year promotion and kind of just run through what our expectations were for this group and how they've developed in the past year. It's almost exactly a year since they debuted really early October 2019. So to start out, I want to talk to you guys about your initial reactions a year ago or more than a year ago now when Super M was first announced. And I like the fact that both of you are on this segment because I kind of experienced this with both of you in different Mm. ways. Isaac was kind of my sounding board at work. He was my only K-pop buddy. I was like, what the hell is this group? Is it going to work? Is it a gimmick? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Alexis and I kept running into each other at at things. And at KCON last year in August, I remember we were walking past those first Super M posters that we were so excited to see in downtown LA. We were like, holy shit. It was like the silhouette of them walking. We were like, no one has ever done this before. No one will ever do this again. Like, this is going to be great. We had like such high hopes for this. And so I'm so happy that you guys are back after a year so that we can discuss how it's all gone. What did you guys first think? Like, what were your first thoughts when they announced this K-pop supergroup? Well, I mean, I said I said most of my thoughts on this very podcast. Right. About we a did year do ago. a podcast a year ago, but things have changed, you know? Yes. Looking yes, back. Things have changed. Looking back, I do feel like the you know we've been dropping for a year. We sure have, Isaac. Full calendar year, and I think it's gone pretty swimmingly for Super M and SM Entertainment in terms of its global reach. I mean, how to measure success for Super M isn't the same way you measure success for any other K-pop group because it is number one a super group, number two it is geared towards English-speaking audiences, specifically North America including mostly United States and Canada. So it's gone pretty, pretty well. I mean, we're going to talk about this later, but they just hit Billboard number one with their album. So, Right. The first album, right? Not this one I was yet. like, hold on, what? No, 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 no. no I'm sorry. <laughs> we hope so. We hope so. Though. I misspoke. <laughs> You're good. But they debuted with Billboard number yes. one, their album last year. So I would say that I was skeptical as a Korean American myself being like, the, the larger North American public is not going to care about this Korean group trying to sing and rap in English and mostly English, but it seems to have worked. And I'm very pleasantly surprised and I'm, and I'm weirdly proud, you know, as I've mentioned before on whenever there's a K-pop group that does well in the States and that does well in the Western world, I'm like weirdly proud as a Korean American being like, we, we belong here also. Get used to it, Isaac. They're doing great these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been a it's been a strange and cool time to be cool. That my culture is cool now. Plus, they're superheroes now. Right. They have an official collab with Marvel. Who knows where that'll go? Alexis, we were both very entrenched in kind of like the early controversy of Super M. I feel like we're both pretty deep in like kind of the stand Twitter, et cetera. And not everyone was excited about this idea. I remember discussing it with you at length, being like, we're psyched, but not everyone else is. What were your just early hopes for this group? Well, I mean, as a self-professed SM stan, (laughs) all my favorite groups, 
Aren't we all? Except, I mean, it's <laughs> inevitable. So when they announced Super M, I was beyond stoked. Also because I always like unique and that kind of SM the ballad and that kind of thing. So I was like, yes, again, a super group, the new ones. Perfect. But yeah, people were just not feeling it at the beginning. I was not one of them. <laughs> so with the debut, with the number one, like I got to be like, yes, we told you. We knew this was going to happen. This is going to be epic. And it was. So I was pretty pleased with myself for being a day one supporter. <laughs> a day one supporter. Not their official fandom name, apparently. But we'll see. We don't have an official one yet. I guess we'll see what it is. I also felt pretty validated. I want to ask because... Obviously, the new album is out. We don't want to get into specifics. We're going to do that in the second half of the podcast. But it's 15 songs. It's a lot of songs. And musically, they kind of finally have a sound. And I think, you know, the first album went number one on Billboard. It was five songs. And people were like, okay, it did well in terms of sales. But like, is it a good, musically a good album? I thought it was. Some people thought it wasn't. Do you feel like they finally really put their foot down in terms of content? As opposed to like just numbers. The mini album was interesting in that, I mean, we're on Stan Twitter. Like we all clocked it that it was like, you know, too fast sounds like shiny. No matter sounds like NCT 127, you know. So I feel like the first mini album was like a good first impression of being like, this is where we come from and this is what we can do and this is how we mesh well together. And then this first album is kind of like, we have arrived. This is us. And it goes really well with this whole idea that they've been selling us since day one with the Avengers of K-pop. Like their brand is like this epic, anthemic group that's just big and loud and epic. And we love it for them. It works. Yeah, it has worked again, I think. Isaac, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the album is certainly long. Let's start there. <laughs> but I'll, no, I'm just kidding. But like for me, as somebody who's kind of followed K-pop for a long time and have listened to a a lot of music from SM Entertainment. This sounds like a very, very SM record in the sense that it's very Eurodance based as is most of the SM songs, but also has a lot of these Korean elements. I think the one thing that really differentiated this with their first mini album was that it contains songs that are, as you said, Alexis, like very large and epic and, and big. But also it contains songs that you would normally find on a record. Like, you know, like a song like Better Days is like really good to just like, okay, let's take a breather now and think about Better Days. And then let's <laughs> jump back into the hype. There's also a lot of sonic variety and, and a lot of, it's like a, like a smorgasbord of some sort of music. And it was more complete, it was more mature of a record than the mini album was. Let's not mark around the subject. I feel like... The album contains like an entire just ass shaking moment that you do not <laughs> see in SM records ever. No one like what moment? I mean, drip. It's for sure sexier than the the previous what you would expect. But then again, it is a record geared towards a Western audience. Sure. I don't want to get into like geopolitical kind of like cultural things, but Korean audiences will, will are going to expect something that's a little less explicit. In mm -hmm. its uh, horniness and its in its content, whereas this record is geared towards a, a more um, let's say culturally open uh, audience. On that note, I want to kind of skip ahead in our plan of order here because about a ton of these songs have a ton of English. I would say I would like say maybe like a maybe a yes. third, maybe more are in all English, which isn't strange these days. BTS just came out with Dynamite. Monster X released a whole English album. You know, Blackpink has, has done a bunch of collabs and things like that lately. Did it surprise you the amount of English that was on this? Or do you think it just makes sense? No, I mean, I think it, it makes complete sense. I was thinking about this actually earlier today when I was re-listening to some of the songs. It's flipped in how much English there is versus how much Korean there is. Because because English is the lingua franca of most, you know, Western societies and, and Western touched <laughs> communities and civilizations. So... A lot of English is in K-pop already, even though most of the song is in Korean. But in Super Hem songs, it's like it's the opposite. That's a great point. Yeah, it's like Korean is the lingua franca, but like they're coming from an English speaking background almost. That's what it feels like at the very least. And right. it's a, it was a bit jarring at first because as a Korean speaker and as an English speaker, I'm so used to 
Korean dominating and English being part of the infrastructure of the song. And now it's Korean is the infrastructure of the song and English is is kind of the the majority of the storytelling. So I thought it was, I don't know, now I think it's cool. It was jarring at first, but now I think it's like, wow, we've done the opposite. I think I would have been more surprised had the album been in all English. Like mm. how they presented it, it makes sense to me. Because when Super M was first announced, like that was the big thing that everyone was like, oh no, they're going to start singing in English and you know people will say like oh they sold out or whatever and I just thought it was like super badass that they were being presented as like the first K-pop band that was like officially debuting and promoting in the U.S. and they stuck to their guns and they sang in Korean half of the time so with this like Isaac said they shifted that it's more English than Korean but I still think that it's like a good synergy and honestly as a K-pop fan sometimes like a non, non-Korean speaking fan, sometimes it's like they'll say something in English and, and my brain is just like conditioned to accept it as Korean. So it just like <laughs> completely like doesn't even register. Like I was texting Kate earlier and I was like, did Taeyong really say that he has a big truck? Like <laughs> th- that never registered in English to me in Beyond Live and everything. So now that it's here, now that we can listen to the studio version, and the lyrics are out, it's like, okay, they went there. It's a different experience. And I also think part of it is like, it's still such K-pop. Like, you could argue that like, yes, it's in English, but like, even if one, Monster Plus Infinity, is in is mostly in English, it's like still absolutely a K-pop song. Yeah, it sounds very K-pop-y, except for the K part of that is, is being <laughs> diminished yeah. in a certain way. But... I mean, it's not limited to the language. So, like, let's not let's stop putting barriers around people. Like, I'm a Korean, but I speak English mostly. Like, you know, it's it's yeah. larger. The, the diaspora is large. It is. I want to circle back super quick and talk about Jopping because I think that Jopping... <laughs> More Jopping. I think that Jopping taught us how to consume Super M music. This is how I feel because, you know, they're talking about this album. They're like, oh, it's meant to make people feel better, feel hope. And I'm just like... Jopping told us that, like, we don't need that, really. You know, we just need a catchy song. We need a bop. We need a slick music video. We need some sick choreo. And, like, that's what I want from Super M, and that's what I expect from Super M, and that's what they give us. That's why when I when I first listened to Better Days, I was like, okay, but this is not what we want from you. Like, thank you. I guess there's something for everyone in the album. But personally, I was like, okay, where's the Jopping? Right. Yeah. And then you dialed it back to 100 and you were like, here we go. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I can get through this weird times, these unprecedented times, jopping. Right. (laughs) Jopping will get me through. The expectation (laughs) is fun. It's just, let's have fun. You know, and that's what jopping was largely. The song doesn't really make sense. You know, like jumping and popping, we jump. Like, you know, it's it's just, but, right. but it is fun. It is entertaining and there's value in entertainment. Not everything has to be profound and deep. And I think that's, a, exactly. you know, like I was just talking about this earlier and not to, not to derail us real quick, but I was talking about this with a friend about how like Shakespeare mostly wrote rom-coms. Like that's <laughs> the thing. But, you know, you don't consider that lowbrow, you know, it's right. like entertainment is valuable itself and, and it is of a standard itself. It doesn't need to say something that's like so crazy, especially like in the times that we are now. You know what? Having fun, it's probably really valuable right now. Yeah. Sometimes you just want a job, man. You just and want I, a job. I, I genuinely think that the reaction to dropping and the way that fans took a hold of it turned it into just meme fuel for the yeah. past year. Literally over the past year, there would be tweets being like, I miss shopping. I miss Super M. It was such a fun environment. It was such a fun sort of just like online vibe. And I feel like they've really carried that energy into this music and have kind of this different context with which we're consuming this content based on how Jopping taught us how. You know what I mean? Like people reacted to 100 as, you know, as silly as you may have thought it was or whether you liked it or not, there was a really entertaining and fun and enjoyable reaction to it because it was like in the shadow of dropping. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. They have big shoes to fill with this album because dropping, like everything, there's just so, so much in dropping, like from Mark's verse (laughs) to the choreo to the memes, like it was just a lot. 
I also think that they've learned from the fan reaction to that. Like mm. they have these moments in this album that I think they know fans will grab onto. Like, um, like for example, Mark's verse and dropping became such a fan favorite. And, you know, Taeyong has that growl and tiger inside this time. And, you know, Lucas has that like sort of dance break center moment at the end of one. And mm -hmm. like, they have these moments where they really capitalize on like fans are going to, you know, take a video of this and share it until it's absolutely everywhere. And, I think that's a really smart strategy to just know what's going to hit and like really just make sure that those moments are in there. I know you're saying that you're thinking that. That is absolutely what happened. This is SM Entertainment. They've probably had focus groups. They probably had all these like studies and like surveys. They This is all calculated. I mean, it's a good thing. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just they're giving the people what they want. They're in a conference room watching Mark's verse 100%. on loop with oh, like, yes. you know, spreadsheets and <laughs> being like, how can we recreate this again? Yes. Yeah. And they were like, Taeyong will growl and we will go from there. So I want to talk about the success of the first album and the numbers of it. I would say just based on the first day are, are arguably not going to be met by this one. And people seem concerned about it. And I kind of don't care. I've found that like, like, I don't want, I don't care if they go number one on Billboard again. I think for this comeback, I was more concerned about their musical identity and their actual content. Like I would have been way more bummed if they went number one on Billboard and had songs that I didn't like and an album that I didn't enjoy than I would be if like, you know, we got this album and then they don't do the numbers that people were expecting. Like, I just can't make myself care that much about it. I mean, the thing about caring about numbers and billboard charts and stuff like that's still such just like a very weird thing for me because as a reformed hipster like <laughs> I don't understand this you know just like wanting to see your group like be number one like I don't I don't I don't I don't connect with that you know like you, you fight for the underdog to each their own but I don't connect with that so I never I've never approached k-pop even now with being like, oh, this is a hit. It's just about, I like it or I don't like it. I like this album. So I think that it's, I think that the first album had like really big moments. Mm -hmm. Like each song was a moment. I mean, it was only four songs. And because this is 15, there's a lot of like fodder. But I still think it's, it's good. Like I do have skips, but sure, it's minimal. It's a 15 song album. You gotta, it would be. An incredible feat if you didn't. I want to ask because I think part of maybe part of the numbers discussion has to do with the pandemic and the fact that they couldn't come to the U.S. They couldn't promote in the U.S. They're a group that's made for the U.S. and they can't be in the U.S. And it's hard for me to be surprised that they've had to kind of switch their strategy and and switch kind of the focus of this group, which isn't to say that they can't reach U.S. audiences. But do you th how I mean, how much do you think the pandemic has affected their strategy this year? Massive. I mean, I think it's probably the number one thing that's affected their strategy. I was shocked because there's a very, very popular television program in South Korea. I'm sure you guys even know it called Anan Hyungnim, which is uh, in English, I think, Knowing Brothers or something. Yeah. Yeah. So they went on Anan Hyungnim, which I was like shocked by because I didn't think they were going to be doing Korean TV shows like that. Yeah, and they didn't before. No, they didn't before. And then right. and then when they came on, like one of the talking points was like, hey, you guys have never done this in Korea. Like, <laughs> how does it feel to, to be on a Korean TV show? And, you know, everything's changed. Everything's changed in terms of how to approach, you know, our daily lives, but also for entertainment producers like SM Entertainment, like, you know, with the strategy of Super M, They've had to turn domestically, ironically, for a band that was formed in order to be marketable to overseas audiences and overseas consumers. But you know what? I kind of enjoy it. I kind of like seeing them seeing them kind of go back to not back to this is for the first time, right? As as them as the seven of them. Back to what you expect. Back to what you would expect from a K-pop right. group. In a weird way, there's a comfort. Maybe I'm the only one who feels this way because... No, I totally agree. It's it's like I would rather see them on Inkigayo than Ellen. You know what I yeah. mean? Like there's a comfort to them doing what everyone else has done and yeah. like a production quality that we don't get. And it's like, you know, I would rather see them on Knowing Bros than on doing a sketch with Jimmy Fallon. Like it's mm -hmm. they're more comfortable 
it's what we're used to. It's where we want to see them kind of in their element. And I've actually really, I've really enjoyed kind of them having, I mean, I know they've been kind of forced to do it, but I've, I've enjoyed them kind of switching back to Korean promotions for sure. Okay. So I want to talk about the future of Super M. There are a lot of rumors about, I don't know if you guys watched the music video for one, which is the single that was released today. How many times do you think? (laughs) Several times. Yeah. I did my homework for this podcast. I know you did. You always do. So in true Marvel fashion, there's a post credit scene at the end of this music video where Tamin, who is, first of all, they run back through all the first Super M teasers. They have kind of this quick montage of all these like, you know, mysterious teasers that they had when they were introducing the group. And then Tamin is in a field. He opens a phone and something comes up on the phone. Hmm. There are so many fan theories that this is going to be announcing an addition, a new member of Super M. Do you subscribe to this theory? To be honest, at first, I thought it was the NCT 2020 logo. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> it looks like it. Nothing makes sense anymore. But that's a good thats a good conspiracy theory. I mean, it would make a lot of sense. Again, for the like the fifth time, this is what SM does. This is what they right. do. You and I have talked about this at length on this podcast. Like, Isuman, the, the, the head of SM, has been obsessed with this idea of an ever-expanding group for over two like for close to two decades now didn't they say 30 years yeah and so the idea that the super group would also expand makes a lot of sense i don't know who who would be the additional member like i guess can i give you my theory yes please please go okay here's my theory so the reason they would need a new member is because baekhyun has to enlist in like the next six months or so right he does that's like the general we don't know exactly but he's gonna have to go eventually because of his age Mm -hmm. so They will need a vocalist. They do. If they will swap someone in. However, this is, again, based on nothing. In reality, this is just my head. Mm -hmm. Just so you guys know, I don't want to start any rumors. So they'll need a vocalist. They have to have a vocalist. NCT is already really overloaded on Super M. I don't think they can add another person from NCT and have it be five and two. Mm -hmm. So I think it would have to be someone older. It would have to be someone from EXO who's in the middle of enlisting. Their vocalists are all going to be gone. I don't think that's likely. I don't think they'll go older. I don't think they'll do, they won't do TVXQ. They won't do Super Junior. I think if it's going to be anyone, I would put money on Key from Shiny. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Thoughts? He comes back in like a week. Oh, wow. He does. He's going to lose his mind in Super (laughs) M. Yeah, he would. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I was, I was talking with people about this. We were throwing out names. People were like, it could be D.O. from EXO. I was like, D.O. would absolutely no. say no. No, he he's not. Like, no. He said no to EXO. Like, absolutely not. <laughs> he noped out to the military before his time. He's not doing Super M. He's like, sorry, I have 17 acting projects. I can't do it. I just think he has the voice. He has the stage presence. He is older. They're, you know, they're going to lose their leader in Baekhyun. We already know Tamian doesn't want to be the leader. He already bailed on it once. He was like, I don't want it. I don't care if I'm in all the teasers. Like, I don't want this role. So they're going to need someone older. And I just think he makes the most sense. So that's my theory. It's based on not much. It makes a lot of sense because it's, it's, it's Tamian who's opening up the phone. And- right. He's calling. He's phoning a friend. And I like went really deep on Twitter into the Marvel thing. But I was like, <laughs> you guys know. At the end of Avengers Infinity, where the post-credit scene is Nick Fury dialing up Captain Marvel to just tap her in off yeah. the bench. I was like, Tammy, and he's like, we need somebody. Or, I mean, this is a bit of a curveball, but maybe a woman, maybe a female vocalist. Okay, I, I also was thinking about that as well. In a perfect world, who would you add? Sogi. I said Sogi too. Only Silky could be able Silky's to do that. Silky's busy as hell, though. She's got she a lot busy. going on. She's already got this new subunit with Irene. I don't know. I would love it. And actually, that takes me into the next thing on the outline. There have been rumors that they're going to be planning a female super group once mm-hmm. they debut their new girl group, which is supposedly coming at the end of the year mm-hmm. at some point or early next year. Would we be into that? I would be, I yeah. think. Yes. But we don't know who the new girls the are. The lineup but is very limited. Would be very it limited. It is limited. So they would have to do... Uh, obviously some girls from Red Velvet, yeah. maybe a couple girls from the new group, and then maybe get up into like girls' generation? I don't think so. <laughs> no? I mean, yeah, the, the five <laughs> members were still under contract with SM. They could. Maybe they could DJ take... Hyo? No? Yeah. Girls' generation barely promoted with their own group. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> with OGG. They need, a, they need a couple more. But there have been a lot of rumors about this from like, you know, quote yeah. unquote, like SM Insider Twitter accounts. Not that they ever... 
are super on the mark, but sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I would love DJ Hyo with Sogi in anything. In anything. Yeah. I agree. Also, like, sign somebody else. Yeah, I do wonder if they could reach outside of SM and do like a partnership with a different company. Because I'm, sure. I'm thinking about JYP. I'm thinking about YG. Although, I mean, YG has, has enough going on at this point. Yeah, they should like pull, do a big hit, acquire somebody little, yeah. take them in, you know? It's traditionally not been her, their strategy, but I mean, it's a new world. So I would be into it. I would love a female super group. Oh, I yeah. think about it every day. It would be great. Maybe somebody <laughs> else will try it. Do you guys think... I want to like wrap up by, by discussing this mm-hmm. in particular. Uh, a year ago on our first Super M podcast, Isaac and I discussed whether or not we thought other companies would try this strategy. A year later, I think we can say it's worked or at least it's been proven to be kind of an algorithm that can be adjusted into different places. Yeah. Do you guys think that other companies will eventually try the supergroup method? I mean, who has a strong enough lineup? To pull it off, though. A big Hit's getting there. Big Hit's getting there. JYP might might be there. There'll all be fetuses. A big Hit's got <laughs> BTS, 17, newest, TXT. Would they put someone on BTS with 17? That's what I'm wondering. Probably won't. Yeah. I know. This is what Isaac and I have talked about, I think, on a previous podcast. They would have to do it like mid-enlistment. I think, which is just like a no one knows how they're going to do that if they're going to send them all at once or what. So like nobody has any idea. I think they are maybe the only ones with the depth of bench to do it. Yeah. Maybe JYP could pull it off. Yeah, I was thinking JYP because of the kind of the 2 p.m. members who aren't doing anything right now while a lot of them are. Or maybe if JYP does like a new rookie group, then do like got seven straight kids rookies. Oh, I was thinking about more like pulling from the magnet line from God Seven down to yeah. Stray hmm. Kids. But down to Stray Kids, they could pull in somebody from Day Six, maybe. Oh, that's Ooh. true. Day Six, Ooh, yeah, Day Six. Yeah. How do we forget them? Honestly, they could do Junk that. Junkie dances. So, and they've done a lot of like JYP, like kind of collabs. I will say, I mean, JYP is doing some really creative things right now. Starting up a completely Japanese girl group. They've been venturing out beyond their waters for a while anyway. So I wouldn't be shocked if they did this. But I I do feel like they, if any company was going to do something that is like, I guess not copying, but like following the trend. JYP is a company that would set the trend, not follow a trend. But that's just me. I don't think YG would do it. They also just don't have the depth right now. Although I do like Treasure. Yeah, treasures, but treasure. Yeah, treasures <laughs> also huge. I'm also thinking not just in terms of the roster. I'm thinking in terms of the infrastructure and the support. SM has the dough, and they have the people behind who can facilitate this kind of stuff. And they like to take risks yeah. too, like with this kind of structure. The Super M experiment fits so well into like the NCT mold, yeah. kind of, and like the sort of just fluid between group energy that it, it does make sense for them in a way that I don't think it makes sense for anyone else. But I, I don't know. I love the interactions. I kind of hope somebody else does it. I want this for the other fans as well. Yeah. I want this to happen across companies. Like I, there's been a little too much over the last few decades, basically. I mean, ever since I've been <laughs> alive of like, oh, you're, if you're an SM, then, then you're SM. If you're YG, you're YG. If you're JYP, right. you're JYP. Back then, you know, when DSP was still around, you're DSP. But like, as we've seen with, I mean, it's kind of started with SM of like a lot of collaborations between different artists from different companies. And because there's so many idols now too, like why not do like a, a project between, co- it's not like it hasn't been done. Like it, the produce projects, right? It's 101, mm-hmm. Eyes One. Sure. Like they've, they've had these groups from different companies, like with artists from different labels, but it's just not been, I guess like it's not been done after the fact, like after a group's debuted? I was about to say that maybe what would make more sense is that if any of the little companies in the umbrella of CJ, yeah, like that, mm-hmm. like that would make more sense a little bit, even though 101 and all of that, like they were complicated mm-hmm. when it came to like contracts. But I feel like if someone could pull it off, maybe it could be, you know, maybe like a one with who's also in one of those anyway <laughs> in that in those territories right yes and they don't have to sign like crazy like long contracts they can just be it can just be a project group you just do it for one single cycle and then maybe if it's successful you do it again yeah i like 
this idea. I would love to see just like, you know, the little underdogs. As we said, we like to root for the rookies, root for the underdogs. A rookie group like Super M, you know, just reaching the end of their first year. <laughs> it's so funny to consider them as rookies because like Temi, he debuted when I was a kid. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, rookie. Like these guys have been around forever. Well, uh, you know, we're here to celebrate their first year of debut, their first year into this industry. I think they've done great as a rookie group. And yeah, thank you guys so much for joining me for this retrospective. You know, I, I hope that other people pick up the Super M model and get to experience kind of the strange, chaotic joy that Super M has brought fans in the past year. So thank you so much to Isaac and Alexis. But it's time to pivot away from the big picture and to take a deep dive into this album. Super M released their first full-length album, Super One, today. We're recording on album release day. And we've got two more K-pop media gems here to discuss it with me. We've got Penske Media's fabulous Christine Kwok here, whose Super M content you may have seen on up-and-coming publications like Variety, Rolling Stone. Uh, And we also have Refinery29 entertainment writer Natalie Morin, who is officially here because of her Super M expertise and interviews, but unofficially here because I text her like 50 times a day about all the K-pop things <laughs> that I can't say on a public platform. <laughs> Guys, welcome to Ringer Dish. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's a crazy comeback season. I'm so glad you've both made the time to be here, especially Christine, who's <laughs> calling in from Korea. Yeah, it's 8 a.m., so not too early anymore, but... <laughs> we're ready. We've got our dropping hats on. Uh, we're going to dive into Super One and... Let's keep it pretty tight. Let's just run through the track list. Um, But I want to start by hearing just your general thoughts about the album. What were your first reactions upon hearing Super One all the way through for the first time? Natalie, hit me. Man, I, I mean, I like this album. I think it is very eclectic. 15 tracks is a lot. And it is a lot. It's a lot. I think that it didn't have as much of a through line as uh, the Super MEP. But I kind of think of it as like a really delicious buffet instead of a four course meal or a 15 course meal as it was. <laughs> are you are you saying that dinner's ready? I feel like I've heard that somewhere recently. Dinner's ready. Yeah, it's yeah. And, and it's interesting because I feel like SM kind of has a tendency to do this a lot with like first albums. Like I felt this way a little bit with Wavy's album when it came out. There were these different sonic influences throughout and that were kind of peppered in. But after listening to the whole thing a couple of times, it made it made a lot more sense to me why they decided to do that, because this is the kind of group where you can't just make them fit into this one kind of sonic mold. And I kind of wrote about this a little bit in my write-up of of the album and the and the one music video. But basically it's it kind of feels like Super One is is elastic in the ways that it kind of makes the music fit around the like the unique textures of each of the members and helps showcase what they each bring to the table in that way. So you're going to get something a little bit at times. It feels a little bit all over the place, but it's still it's like it's it's really fun. And and it sounds now it finally sounds like Super M. It doesn't sound like just these seven superstar guys in one group together. It sounds like they have their own <laughs> unique sound now, which I thought was really impressive. I totally agree. Christine, what were your first thoughts upon hearing it? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with everything that Natalie also said. I thought it was very like traditional SM sounding, um, mm-hmm. but still like we're able to kind of keep it really fresh. And there was a lot of tracks, which was shocking to me when I first saw the track list too. I was like, wow, that's that's a really full album. You know, like other groups will release like four tracks and five tracks and call it an album. But 15 is definitely a full album with a lot of variety in there. But yeah, I thought it was really cool to see how much they've kind of grown over the past year. I mean, we've all listened to Jopping a million times at this point. So um, exciting to get new content from them. Yeah. Christine, I know you're a YG girl. And I saw a tweet from someone today (laughs) where they were like, 15 songs? Is this what it's like outside YG? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's like nothing I've ever experienced before. Whereas Blackpink still has like 12 songs, you know, however many years later. I think album is supposed to have a little bit more, but it is. yeah, we'll see. For sure. 
prayers up. I was, I agree with what you've all said. I'm glad that they finally have kind of a cohesive sound while also still being very eclectic. I was surprised by a few things with this album. When I first sat down and listened to it, I sat down, I opened my notes app and I started listening and writing down each member that was in every song because like a dummy, I was expecting unit songs like on the last album. Were you surprised that they're all on all 15 songs? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was definitely surprising. I remember at the concert, I went to the one in LA at the forum and they, I think they had several unit performances and they also had a lot of solo performances. So I was kind of expecting that for the album. So yeah, definitely a shocker. Yeah. I mean, they had five songs on their last album and three of them were unit songs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Natalie, do you think they thought that was a mistake? No, I don't think so. I think with a group like this, everybody has kind of heard them individually, if that makes sense. Like people know, people want to see what happens when you put all of these ingredients together. And I think like, and they also wanted to come out of the gate with this album, just like with all of the force they could. So I think in their minds, that meant like, let's get everybody on, let's put all of our, you know, fire up all the cylinders and whatnot. Though I will say not hearing bass go boom on this album was disappointing. It was unforgivable. The people need the bass. They need the bass and they (laughs) need it to go boom now. (laughs) They sure do. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually a really good point about how they really just went full force with this album. I mean, you can see it in the promos that they've been doing. And I mean, just even when I was speaking with them, it seems like they're they just really seem like a regular real group that's been working together for years. Like they don't seem like a project group. They don't seem like a special special unit, I guess. It's like a real group that's really close with each other and they have a good time. Totally. We were talking about this earlier, but it's like not a gimmick anymore. Right. And I think, and I think the biggest, maybe the biggest change over the past year is just how clearly comfortable they are with each other and how they really are like a group now and not just like people who are a little awkward with each other, excited to be here, but like not sure what's happening. And yeah, I, I mean, I think that is very evident in this album as well. I want to talk about the lead single. So the lead single, well, there were three singles. We'll get to the the pre-release singles in a moment. I want to talk about one, parentheses, Monster Plus Infinity, (laughs) which I say the parentheses because I'm very fond of this format. I'm a big Shiny fan, as former listeners of this podcast may know. And this hybrid single is kind of formatted in the same style as Sherlock, parentheses, Clue Plus Note, formerly a Shiny hit single. And so this single one is a mashup of the first two songs on the album, Monster and Infinity, which sounds insane, but I think it works. Did you guys think that it worked? Yeah, I mean, I actually didn't know that about Sherlock. I loved Sherlock and I listened to that all the time back in the day, but I didn't know it was a mashup of two songs or kind of an experimental track like that. I thought it was really interesting. I remember I Need a Boy by Girls' Generation was also like experimenting with a lot of different sounds in a single track, but I think one and one parentheses monster plus infinity (laughs) really made it work it's interesting to listen to the three tracks in order you kind of get to see like what they pulled from each track and how they really mesh well together i feel like it's sm's party trick now they're like nobody else really does this and nobody does it in k-pop nobody does it outside of k-pop and i think it's it's something like when i imagine like this track was coming together i imagine lisa man being like yes, you know what? We're just going to hit them out the gate with my like special like Trump card. We're going to hit them with the hybrid song (laughs) and it's going to, you know, people are going to freak out. And I just like, I I feel like he's just sitting there like really proud and and happy with himself for having done this. So (laughs) that makes me smile. Taman like... (laughs) Taman like stood up, flipped the table, was like, I'm in. (laughs) I'm in too. I loved it. I thought it was great. I think it's been funny because when I was listening to the album before it came out, I I was listening to those three songs and then I would like go back and replay those three songs because it felt like they were kind of like an experience, like the three of them Mm -hmm. together. I really like all three of them. But then it's been funny to like watch the music video and only listen to one because then it sounds weird to listen to the other ones. You know what I mean? Because then you get the sense, you know what it sounds like. You expect certain parts. And then when they split up the songs into their two parts, it's like, oh, wait, that wasn't what I was expecting. That's a different song. Yeah, it's almost like a remix of sorts where you're getting three versions of the same song. And like, I love the bridge where it goes from like the really strong vocals from Pekhan and Temin, and then it goes into Mark's rap right away. I think it's a really good balance of different sounds that people can enjoy. 
I think when I first listened to the album, that actually threw me off a lot. It was hard for me to really parse out what was from what song, like when I was first listening to the album. So it sounded like I was listening to the same song three times. And when I was first listening, I thought to myself, you know, maybe this would have been better if they had just put, especially one after another like that in the very beginning and front loading super one with it. So I was thinking that maybe to me, what I might've done is I would have just released the album with one and the hybrid song and then released like a deluxe version of the album, which they tend to do with the two other songs as in, you know, an added Je ne sais quoi. Like it extended. <laughs> do like do like a re a repack in a month, release three more versions. Exactly. People buy them all. And they'll chart again. You're right. That's the move. Yeah. That's the, rock the move. Version. <laughs> exactly. I want to talk about the one music video because it just came out. What do we think? We've had three Super M music videos over the course of this comeback. Give me your thoughts. Get them out of this box. Get them out of this room. <laughs> They've been in this room for three music videos. <laughs> yeah. So Natalie's referring to what I like to I like to call the black on black room. In 2018, NCT released Black on Black in this like lit up box room. And uh, like every video that SM has released in the past month has been in this room, which I understand there are limitations. It's a pandemic. But go outside. You know, <laughs> I feel like it's very SM style, like to have that futuristic kind of apocalyptic, but also futuristic and very, I guess they're very secluded. They're not going to be like out and about on the streets with other people <laughs> performing. It's very like studio vibes. Yeah, that's what people have been telling me. They're like, SM is the king of the box MV. And I'm like, but what <laughs> if they weren't? You know, a few years ago, I'm not quite sure who wrote it and where it is. So it's not very helpful, but there was a very, a very good <laughs> piece written about the SM box and about like the box music video format. Ooh. So apologies to the author, and apologies <laughs> but Google it and you'll find it. And it was, and it was, it was interesting, but I think, I mean, they used it in this music video in a different way than they used it in Tiger Inside and in a hundred. So it worked. But I mean, in, in one, it totally. was just like, to me, the styling and the power is like, is what really made it feel expansive. And I love the use of mirrors in it, kind of going with the, uh, the hybrid monster infinity theme there. But that was something that really made it feel like it was a lot more otherworldly and less claustrophobic. Yeah, I feel like we started out complaining about this music video. I want to be clear. We loved it. <laughs> we started out complaining about the box. I thought this music video was great. Um, I think my favorite part was the direction. There were these moments where they would like zoom in in slow motion on like certain angles or certain looks. And like, I feel like SM has this very frenetic camera style sometimes where you just don't catch those little moments and those little facial expressions. And this one I thought really did which was different from, I think, 100 or Tiger Inside in certain ways. Uh, in the roundtable, we did like a little journalist roundtable with the group a few days ago. And Kai was saying that the kind of hybrid theme of the song is reflected in the colored contacts that he uses. And I might have missed that if mm. he hadn't said it. But that was a, that's a really cool thing that you notice in the video is that he has these two different colored contacts that are really striking in the video. So just like that, those little details are so cool. <laughs> yeah, I thought the uh, the styling was great and just the Marvel vibes. It was very much like the successor to Jopping where it kind of felt like a superhero <laughs> movie. Yeah, for sure. Really on brand for them, like literally and figuratively <laughs> as they have like a real collab with Marvel now. I want to ask, where would you rank this among Super M's singles so far? I liked Tiger Inside the most. So I would say Tiger Inside and then One and then 100 would be my personal ranking. What about where does Jopping fit in there for you? Oh my God, I love Jopping. I do too. I do too. This is a pro <laughs> Jopping podcast. Oh my God, hell yes. <laughs> I mean, I want to say Jopping at number one, but like if I'm thinking about what I would probably listen to the most, I would probably say Tiger Inside would be my number one. But dropping is definitely on like a different scale of number one, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
The cultural impact of shopping just cannot be measured. Exactly. Natalie, Tiger Inside's your number one too, right? I just, I, I really, I think that it is, it uses everybody in the best way. It uses all of their strengths. And I, I do like one, but I, I think it would go, it would go Tiger Inside, Jopping, one, 100. I really like a hundred. I think that it took, it's a controversial single I found on the internet, but I really like it. So I'm, I'm actually like all of the super M singles that they've come out with have really packed a lot of punch. So impressed. Christine, what were your thoughts on 100? Cause it was quite controversial. I actually didn't know about all this controversy that was apparently going on. I remember when I listened to it back in the fall, I think is when it came out or maybe late, late last year, I really liked it. And I was like, wow, this is like a good sequel to Jopping. But I think just in comparison to the other tracks that have been coming out, like I just love Tiger Inside. And I think just in comparison, it ranks lower, but it's still, I liked it when it, it came out, like right after Jopping. I'll be the devil's advocate. I did not love it. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> It like it was fine, but I heard it it's and I so was catchy, like, though. I was like, oh, okay. But you love jopping, and to me, like a hundred is the follow up to jopping. Like it has, yeah, it has all the jopping ingredients. Jopping, the power that is in the word jopping itself, like helps it rank so much higher. <laughs> Did you see the Super M one hundred dance practice video that looked like a full yeah. budget music video? <laughs> right. That was what they sent us first, I think. I think that was when we first heard the song. I don't know. I was watching it and I was like, and like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but it, like, it wasn't quite done. Like you could tell it was a new song for them. Like one of them kind of like yeah. messed up in the back. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 it's true. <laughs> it's and I true. was like, I, and it was just like, that was my first encounter of the song. And I was like, I don't know if this is worthy but I did feel really like the music video. I thought the music video was really fun. And I think 100 is better in the context of the album. You need like that I absolutely punch. agree. Yeah, I think in, in the album, it works so well. And can I just say in the music video, does Timmy not look like in the cowboy hat? He reminds me of Kevin Spacey in 21 when he has a cowboy hat and he puts, you know, he's in Vegas and he's like, you know, let's go guys. And they're like in Vegas. It, anyways, <laughs> it's, it's not. It's, <laughs> I don't think I recall that specific reference from that movie. Yeah, the disco That's cowboy vibes. It's disco cowboy. Which are super in right now. Did Timmons start the Yeehaw K-pop trend? Perhaps. Anyone? Maybe? He paved the way. Um, okay, I gotta cut us off. First of all, I really want to rant super quickly. SM has got to stop naming their songs Monster. Can we just agree on that? I mean, there's just so many songs called Monster in the in the world, in the universe. There's just so many out there. First of all, love all the songs named called Monster that they've had, but EXO obviously is the all-timer monster from 2017. Then Henry from Super Junior released Monster in Chinese in 2018. Irene and Solgi released Monster literally like months ago. And now we have another Super M song called Monster. Can we stop? Maybe that's why they decided to combine it with Infinity. And that was the reasoning. <laughs> Couldn't we just swap another word in there? This is the company that released a song called Bad Boy. And then the same group, like five months later, released the song Really Bad Boy. So I'm just like, at this You're point, right. <laughs> I, I come to expect nothing. And they're all bops. Like, no complaints oh, yeah. as to the content. I'm just, it's just, I worry about their search engine optimization. Oh, yeah. Is what oh, yeah. I'm with that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that is a good point. Yeah. I just worry for them. Okay. We got to get into the B sides. I know we have a lot of picks here. Can we start by talking about drip? please? <laughs> because I think that drip, just the drip discourse has not been strong enough. I love drip. I think it would be really great on TikTok. I don't know if you guys are on TikTok, but I could see that first part of the song being viral on TikTok with like a cool dance. Like that. That part yeah. is made for TikTok. Yeah, for sure. I want to talk about Mark talking about Drip during kind of the countdown to the one music video. Drip, we should say, is like an overtly sexual song. And I thought when I first listened, like first expected it, I was like, maybe it'll be like Drip mm -hmm. like diamonds, because that's, I think, pretty commonly how Drip is used. It's not. It's like a very sexual song. And they made Mark Lee, poor dear sweet Mark Lee, explain it 
and talk about the meaning. And how would you say that went, Natalie? Just as well as me explaining to my mom why I was watching kiss compilation videos in middle school. Like (laughs) the... It's, it's honestly, it's beautiful. I want to recruit Mark to do PR for refinery because truly the spin king of spin is really what, I mean, he was just, the (laughs) words were just floating in the air and he was just grasping and, and nope, nobody was there to help him. In fact, they were laughing. They were laughing. And um, I tweeted this, but I still think it's true. Like what is so funny to me is he's like, cannot say anything about how horny the song is and yet like five feet away from him is Pekyun who just came out with one of the horniest albums of the year (laughs) it's just it's god it's it's cinematic I think my favorite part of it is like how he's just on an island alone and they all know that he can't. <laughs> he's like looking around. Right. And they all know they're like, Mark Lee is the worst possible person to choose. Not that he can't do it. He can. He just, again, is just like not, he just can't let himself say the word sex ever. And so he's trying to talk about sexual tension and the meaning of the song. And he's tr- doing it in this way that is just stunning. And they're all just in awe of him and just leaving him alone to just float. It's savage, but it's also like they did it for the greater good. I mean, the memes that have come out of that moment will will continue to come out for years <laughs> to come. It was very endearing. They are. Mark is the most endearing human living on planet Earth. So, and I like his new orange hair. Also controversial. Um, okay, other <laughs> B-sides that we like. Wish you were here. They lo- this is like Super M's favorite song. Honestly, it had to grow on me. I didn't like it at first, but after a few listens, I do really like it. I think it went- might be one of my favorite B-sides. It wasn't the vibe I expected from them. You know, it's like mm-hmm. going really hard. We're going 100. We're in our cars. Yeah. We're driving fast. And then it's like this like, <laughs> you know, tinkly little like kind of tropical vibe. It kind of reminded me of Coco Bop. Oh, totally. Yeah, for sure. They should do a music video for this and Baekhyun should bring back the mullet. Yes, Thoughts? absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. I want to talk about some other B-sides super quick. Dangerous Woman, they performed in their concerts. I thought it sounded better on the album. I didn't like it in the concert, liked it on the album. Anyone? I actually agree with you. I don't remember it really standing out in the in the concert. I did like it at the concert, but I think in the album, just being able to hear it a little bit more clearly um, definitely helped. What's interesting with this song too is I, every time I hear it, I always think it's going to be a lot more sultry and R&B than it actually is. It's it's very light and uh, frothy and it's like very staccato in some ways. And I think that's kind of, it's it's an interesting choice. It kind of, I wrote down when I first heard it that it kind of reminded me of She's the One by Monster X. Like, it seems like it's going to go in a, in a more thoughty place than it does. <laughs> <laughs> it's quirky. It's quirkier than you would think yeah. that it is. I know this next one has been controversial. I want to ask, Natalie, give me your thoughts on Better Days. I wrote down Macklemore is what I wrote down when I first heard this song. <laughs> brutal. Just brutal. You know, listen, I think I I love the message and Ten talked about that. Like at first when he heard the song, he said that it, it sounded a little bit retro to him too retro in fact but he really likes the message of this song and i do like the message of this song i just it's a a little bit of a cheese ball this one it's corny christine did you like this one um it wasn't one of my favorites but when you mentioned macklemore i like (laughs) totally see what you mean like i it's it's just so clear to me why you would say that the the little like the little narrative rap of mark and what makes it funnier too is like Mm -hmm. mark definitely likes macklemore right (laughs) right like yeah he's so earnest earnest. you know macklemore is very earnest and so is mark and no shade i went to a macklemore concert in college we all went through that phase it was fine he he was in for a while just like protect mark lee like that's what that's all i have to say yeah that's the moral of this entire podcast uh natalie i think you added these next two yeah Together at Home. I really like Together at Home. Before, when we were talking about how this album sounds like Super M as a cohesive unit, the fact that Mark and Taeyong both contributed to 
this song and helped compose it is something that I think really made this help ground this album for me in in its super mness I really like the fact that that they contributed this song and and I think it sounds like them what I love about this song is it has a dirty bass line I love a bass line it is there are a lot this year like 1976 and then like 2020 is a year of like great baselines and especially in k-pop there have been a lot but this like i think fits their style so well it's swaggy it's got these melodic synths and has a double clap i love me a double clap in a song it just it fe- <laughs> this, this is was like, made I mean, for you it's not my favorite on the album but it's definitely i think to me it was like a very good also like middle turning point for the album. It like, it helped, I think, bridge the, the high energy and dynamicism of the first part of the album, um, with the kind of more toned down softness of the second part. Totally agree. We're running short on time. I know you guys wanted to shout out with you and so long as well. Super quick. Okay. I just want to shout out so long because I think Beckian's note at the end when he says time to walk away is really like I love a, guy, a high note guy in all of my groups don't we love don't a, we all a high note don't guy? we all and it's beautiful when they're able to use Beckyon in that way or he just like hits it and nails it but using him in this way where his his standout note is something a little bit more flowy and smooth and it doesn't overpower I think is is surprising. It's refreshing. It's lovely. So would like to shout that out in so long. And then with you is really, really lovely. Also in that kind of similar way, where I love the way that Mark and Kai and Taeyong's voices were used. They sang a little bit, give them a chance to, to flex their lower registers. Like that was, that's, I think that's the way that like the light the more light ballady super M songs should sound. It's like electro electro pop in a way. And it's, but it's not hollow. It's like delicious and nutritious. Love it. Christine, who stood out to you the most on this album? Oh God, that's a hard one. <laughs> you can throw out multiple <laughs> um, names. You totally blindsided me there. <laughs> I think Mark for sure. I think his raps are always just super clear and piercing and they're kind of a highlight to each song. So I want to point that out. And then I thought Pekyun's vocals were just really strong. I mean, they're always strong, but like you were mentioning earlier, the high notes and like in so long too, it kind of reminded me of his EP from earlier this year. Mm -hmm. And I just love that like chill R and B vibe that I think he, he, he just does it really well. And I think he also really stood out, stood out to me. Yeah. Natalie, you thought Baekhyun as well, right? I definitely agree with you, Christine. I think that he was used so cleverly in this album. He stands out he doesn't overpower. Like I said, he makes all the songs a little bit more melodic because they have a lot of heavy rapping and a lot of like real, what do you call this? Oh, heavy, heavy hitting rappers. So it's, it adds a, like a, a lot of soul to these songs. And also, Christine, I agree with you with Mark too. Like that's one thing I really liked on a hundred. I love Mark's opening rap on a hundred. It is so bouncy. It is so, it makes me smile whenever I hear it. It's like, I find that it's such a, like a really cool, like punch out of the gate. That's the Mark Lee effect, man. I thought that I really liked that this album gave people who don't get a ton of lines real moments. Like they didn't get people like Lucas and 10, 10, I thought was a real standout on this album, but like Lucas, Kai, sometimes Taeyong just like, don't get that many lines, but like, it's like Taeyong's growl in Tiger Inside or Lucas at the end of one or Kai, like with these little lines here and there where like he really hits his vocals. It's like they have the quality. They don't have the quantity, but they have the quality and they like really make their time count on this album. Taeyong's growls and yips and whatever on Tiger Inside, like he needs to do this all the time. This is what he was made for. His like gravelly, like (laughs) his full gargoyle came out and it is just so, it adds such a beautiful texture to that song and the other ones on the album. Like he needs to be doing that often. Like Juhan style. Yes. Truly like it's a pleasure. It's a 
it's really nice. And then to just to just wrap it up, we haven't mentioned Tamin yet, who I absolutely adore. He crushes every bridge on this album. Like, it's just egregious. Honestly, he does a great job. And I'm obsessed with it. It's like not surprising at this point. He's just so good. He's a true professional, true performer. Like, yeah. it just doesn't even phase me anymore. It's just perfect. What is there to say, you know? Again, like there, this album is so smart in using everybody's it really good at highlighting people's strengths. And like Tamin has that really breathy quality to his voice, which is really lovely. And again, look at me hyping up a hundred, but like in the beginning of a hundred, like they, <laughs> he's, you know, he comes out with, do you want, what do you want, what you got? You know, like it's, it's a, it's a really good use of, of that quality of his voice. And, but he's also like, like we were saying, I mean, he can do a bridge. He can do it all. He's just so dynamic. Yeah. I, I think this album just really highlighted everyone's strengths, which is like the point of Super M. That's why we're here. That's why they're here. And on that note, unless we're going to commit another hour to <laughs> hyping up 100 and defending it from the haters, uh, I think that's all the time we've got. Guys, thank you so much for joining oh, me. This was so you, fun. Kate. This was my first podcast experience and it was really fun. I loved being oh my able God. to talk through the album and kind of <laughs> see what other people are thinking because it seems like we're on the same page. We sure are. This was a great time. I want to thank Lonnie, our producer, for splicing this together, making us sound better than we actually sound. Uh, I hope you guys all enjoy the album and the crazy comeback season that is around the corner. Make sure you hydrate. Make sure you save your money. This has been another episode of Ringer Dish on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kate Hallowell. That was Natalie Morin and Christine Kwok. Thanks so much for listening. 